Jude. Jude is at the very end of your Bible, right before the final book. These are critical scriptures and uh, they bear our full attention and they ought to command and arrest our spirits. Jude 1 and 20 But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Wow, there's, there's a directive for you. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Just pause right there and just, just know this. Don't blame anyone else. You keep yourself. Don't press that responsibility on somebody else. You keep it. You can keep it. You keep yourselves in the love of God. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. That's, that's, we're, we're, we're looking ahead. And here is verse 22. And of some, or the literal word would be upon or in reference to some, have compassion, making a difference. <laughs> and others say with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. And everybody said amen. Now with a view on eternity, I preach today. Friends, don't let friends drive drunk. Amen. God bless you. May be seated. Michelle Hawkins tells her story in brief. I don't have time to tell it all. Michelle had stopped because there was an accident in front of her and she pulled off the side of the road. She pulled her car far off the road. She left the children in the car. She got out of her car just to speak with the people that were standing in front of her. The tragedy was quick, very quick to unfold. In the blink of an eye, she said, her life would forever be changed. It happened to her three children. Kaylee was 15 years old. Caden, six years old. Samuel, four years old. Katie lived. The boys did not. A drunk driver who was a repeat offender with an alcohol level three times above the limit careened into them. He walked away with minor injuries. Her two sons 
died instantly and Kaylee was crying. It's how Michelle knew that her boys were gone. Ryan Nealon writes a single line that tells his story, a story of his life. He wrote, I remember my mother in fragments. That was it. His mother, Terry Nealon, was killed by a drunk driver when he was a mere five years old. The remnants of his childhood are very faint to him. What she was and could have been ended in just a moment of time. It was a snap of a finger. It's difficult for Ryan because he stands in a long line of faceless victims that were not on the scene. Still scarred for life. A missing mother cannot be replaced. Jessica Purcell was a teenager with high hopes and big dreams. Big personality. Lots of love. The strength of youth seemed so invincible at the time. She climbed into the car, the passenger seat. Her friend was driving. He had been drinking as in times past. In the end, Jessica was ejected from the passenger seat when her friend had the accident. He lost control. All the kids prior to that were crying, asking him to slow down, begging him to slow down. The kids in the back, but... Alcohol dampens your inhibitions and his joyride became the end of her life. I've got a thousand more stories. One person dies from drunk driving every 52 minutes. Almost 11,000 people per year, every year. That includes 200 children under the age of 14 years old every year. The number of injuries are exponentially higher. Not everyone dies. Most live. Some without the use of their hands or their legs. Some with partial blindness. Others with burns, skin grafts, loss of speech, brain injuries, neck and back injuries that surgeries cannot repair, will never repair. They live with pain medications, addicted to lifelong medications and lifelong mobility deficits. The horror of the memory even of the accident never fades away. Some cannot travel without anxiety attacks. It's hard for them to get into a car. Others have developed full-on emotional problems that counselors cannot cure. Every day, every week, every month, every year, teen alcohol alone kills 4,700 Young people, snuffed out, no future, no life, no help, no hope. The report is that a drunk driver will drive 80 times, 80 times, before finally being caught. When they're caught, that wasn't the first time. Almost always they say to the officer, I've never done this before. But alcohol strips them of their judgment, thinking is clouded. Decisions are made very slowly and without consideration. Reaction time moves at a snail's pace, which might normally require a split-second decision. It's never made. They have no vision for what is in front of them. They have no balance or consideration for what is beside them or what their speed might be or what they're doing. And for certain, there is no forethought as to what will happen next. And what is the message of our society? Drink Responsibly. 
The poison is sold, it's praised, it's enjoyed, it's advertised with clad, handsome, good-looking men, ripped muscles, good-looking women. It is linked to a vacation on a beach, to fun times, a party in a backyard, or some other festive moment. The proceeds of it sponsor America's most beloved sporting events. The younger you start, the more money they make. But also, and they know this, the younger you begin, the greater the chance you will become a lifelong drinker. One focus group said, and I quote, start them young and we'll have committed clients. The strange days of our lives cannot be more telling. Today, there are places where you will be shamed for not wearing a mask. But in almost all places, you are welcomed if you bring the beer. The most troubling fact in the sea of proven statistics is that most injuries never go away. In this massive pool of daily and weekly testimonies from those who recount the loss of loved ones, a future stolen, altered forever, no fault of their own, lies this acceptance among our society. It's a shrug. It's a yawn. An acceptance and a full embrace takes place. But the most troubling fact of them all is that before the tragedy, ladies and gentlemen, somebody knew. In fact, in almost every case, well into the 99 percentile, that realm, people knew. In fact, many people knew beforehand. They all knew. They had a friend, but they said nothing. They just let it go. In some reports, they committed themselves to be quiet, and they commented on hairstyles. Even if it made their friend ugly, they said... I don't like how your hair looks today. And they shared opinions of their clothes, what looked good on them, and don't ever wear that again. They talked about movie choices and argued about food. One lady, she said, when it came to drinking, I did not think it was any of my business. Now I have no one to share my life with. This has been poured over for several decades of time as groups battle a multi-billion dollar industry and churches are complicit. Of the myriad of ways to prevent this from happening. And there's many. The first steps have surprised me. Here, I'll give you the revised list from the experts on how to stop a friend from driving drunk. Number one, stop yourself. Do not participate in what they're doing. That's number one, stop yourself. Don't do it yourself. If you do it yourself, you strip yourself of all the moral authority that you have. You can't say anything if you're doing what they're doing. Number two, don't feel pressured to do what other people are doing. Number two, don't feel pressured. Number three, stay sober. I know it sounds a little simplistic, maybe a little redundant. You stay sober. Number four, speak to them. Talk them down. Try to rationalize with them. See if you can get them to think through the maze of their clouded view. Number five, if they don't listen, take their keys. That's forceful. It's aggression. 
It's aggression for a cause. Just take their keys. Rip them out of their hands if you can. Number six, tell everyone around you that your friend is in danger so that they won't allow them to drive drunk. And finally, number seven, if they say they'll hate you, if they call you names, if they revile you, if they get angry with you, you call an authority and stop them. Here's what the experts say. It's better for you to save their life than to try to save your friendship. I didn't come here today to present a case against drunk driving. Surely you know that. Mothers Against Drunk Driving, MAD, is doing a great job, and a host of other entities and groups have made their message known. No, I have a view of eternity, and I'm wondering when will the church become so overwhelmed and burdened with reaching the lost that nothing stops us from spreading the gospel. Jesus is coming! Jesus is coming! And the world is closing! Ah. There is a watchman on the wall and he's calling out because off in the distance there is an emerging conclusion to everything that you know and all the reality that you see. And he stands in a long line of many prophets and preachers for thousands of years. I'll just recall one of them. Jeremiah the prophet lived and he died but not before he raised his voice to his generation about the coming judgment against the house of Judah. He interceded for the people. Jeremiah cried out for Jerusalem. Oh, he cried cried out and he preached his examples of their coming destruction all of it fell on deaf ears nobody wanted to hear bad news from the prophet and today nobody wants to hear bad news from a preacher or a pulpit so in that day they mocked him they deprived him they threw him into a dry well they told him to be quiet and he was arrested and he was starved and he committed to stop preaching in fact he said I told myself I'm committed to myself I'm just going to quit preaching about God I'm going to quit preaching about the coming destruction of the nation and of the city Jeremiah said I told myself it's over nobody wants to hear me they don't want me to speak they walk away from me I'm worn out I have worn out from rejection I'm tired of being ridiculed I told myself it's over I'll just hide out but then he said and I read I said I will not make mention of him I'm not going to speak about him anymore I'm not going to talk about his name but something was in me his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones I could not stay I could not be quiet Oh! He was overwhelmed with the message. It did not matter if he was applauded. It didn't matter if he was scorned. It didn't matter if he was rejected, invalidated, besmirched, ridiculed, or mocked. Because there are some things, ladies and gentlemen, in this life that matter more than reputation or acceptance. Ah. Let me just tell you right now eternity is not going to remember how good of a job you have, eternity won't recount. How many stocks and bonds you have. You won't even remember what was in your bank account. It won't remember the scorner even. 
Eternity won't ponder presentation or personality. You won't remember what kind of clothes you have and all the things you're thinking about right now. It won't recall the things that we think that are, that are so important to us. A day or a night that will never end will feature eternal peace or never-ending judgment. And I know that there are many portions of the Bible that are not palatable to the American church. I know how far modern Christianity has drifted from the Scripture. So count me out of touch if you will. I'm out of touch. And I don't say that for a response. I just say it because the closer we get to the rapture, the farther we'll be from fitting in. There is a coming a day, ladies and gentlemen, when you will no longer be able to hide your belief in the name of Jesus. Because the Lord said, you'll be hated of all nations for my name's sake. I read to you a small excerpt from the book of Jude. What a humble man he was. He will wave off his human relationship with Jesus Christ. He simply calls himself a servant of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James. Of course, we know James was the half-brother of the Lord. Judas, Jude rather, was also the half-brother of Jesus Christ. He grew up in the same house. He had the same mother, Mary. But what he's going to write must be seen through the eyes of revelation understanding not human connection so he'll purposely just wave off his biological bond Jude is writing as an eternal setup written for the salvation of the world and the church and all those who might come he writes a one chapter letter it's tucked in between three notable letters and the final description of time it's critical to where we are living right now today Jude writes what can only be seen as a prelude to the book of Revelation, all end-time messages worth any consideration must come through the book of Jude, his inspiration of the Holy Spirit. If, you, if you're ever going to get into the book of Revelation, you've got to pass through Jude. And Jude tells us first, here's what he says, contend for the faith. For all those who have ears to hear this, here and beyond or whenever you watch it. Contend for the faith. Because if you and I are going to be saved, we're going to have to fight for it. <laughs> this walk and belief was never intended to be smooth anyway. We just so happen to live in an incredible country that allows us to do everything we're doing right now. It may not always be this way. This life takes work, ladies and gentlemen, it takes prayer, it takes sacrifice. The Apostle Paul called it the good fight of faith. Yes, but it is a fight. Contending for the faith means that you have to contend to strive, challenge, contest, grapple, sometimes struggle. One writer says you wrestle to keep it. You have to fight back fear and doubt. That cacophony of negative voices that try to discourage you from truth. Even getting to the house of God is sometimes a fight. It was a lot harder when our children were small. We had four children. They were all small. It was hard. We changed outfits several times before we got to the church. When I say we, I meant Tammy. We went through a myriad of ideas and thoughts. and Tried to start out early. 
to get to the church, we, we set out clothes, what we're going to wear on Saturday night, because we knew we got to get prepared. Sometimes just to get to the house of God, you got to step over a whole bunch of stuff. There's always going to be something your way. Just to pray. Sometimes you got you to get through a whole lot of things just to get down on your knees and pray. Just to read your Bible. There's always a distraction just to read your Bible every day. It's hard. Because <laughs> we're consuming everything else, but we're not consuming the Word. Then we wonder what's wrong with our lives. I'm going to tell you, this, you're going to have to contend for the faith. And it was once delivered to the saints. So that means we didn't create it. We can't alter it or change it. It was already established and they already believed it and lived it. Jude then wrote, people are coming to disrupt you. So if you're going to be saved, you're going to have to pay attention to the people around you. Because they're coming to distort you and dilute your faith. They'll bring a whole lot of things. Some of it will be easy believism. Then Jude called out apostates. There's a strange word for our modern English. These are people, men and women, who were both old and new. They were before and, yes, they are present. That's what Jude said. They have come from the body, not from the world. They came from the church. They have an advantage over the sinner who tries to corrupt the church from the outside because these apostates, they know the fault lines of the leaders. They know the past of the people. They know what... The church does, and they even know the scripture, but they are apostates. They use a twisted scripture to lead people away. Jude called them, this is in your Bible. You know I am preaching the Bible today. He calls them clouds without water. Heavy cloud, no rain. They are twice dead, he said, pulled up by the root. They serve themselves. They will tell you how much they love you. They will tell you, I'm just like you. I share your belief. But they exist under the authority. Hear me. They exist under the authority of their own making. In every respect, they are autonomous. Smiles and hugs. Kindness and laughter, all of it to feed their own pride. The apostate is that person who knew the truth and now uses it for their own sake. Jude writes, they are grumblers, complainers. Here's verse 16. Walking according to their own lust or desires, they boast of themselves. In verse 19, he says, and I quote, they cause division. Now you know who they are. They invade the body of Jesus Christ looking like pure believers, but they are heady and high-minded. They will come to fix the problems of the church. Mm -hmm. Jude said, but they do not have the spirit. They have the knowledge, but not the spirit. The book of Revelation, ladies and gentlemen, is coming. It's a, pa it's a page away, one page away. The last book of prophecy that spells out the end of all things as we know it. Like Jeremiah of old, in time, last day preaching is often cloaked in the false prophets of prosperity. You're not going to hear in time revelation from ministers that preach about putting in a dollar and getting out a thousand. But John, the revelator, he's coming. And he's going to see a time when nation's going to rise against nation. It's in your Bible. There will be an increase of knowledge. It's in your Bible. The mark of the beast implanted 
and implemented and confirmed where no one can buy or sell without having the mark of the beast. It's in your Bible. The book of Revelation is right after Jude. It will speak of the moment when things will change. Earth will lose its preserving power because the church will be gone. Jesus preached about it. The bridegroom cometh, he said. The night cometh when no man can work, he said in John 9. Chaos, the Antichrist, false prophets, wreckage, seven seals broken and poured out on the earth. The trumpets sounding in succession, one after the other. The first against vegetation, the second against the seas, then the waters, then the heavens, locusts, the imagery is deafening Jude is preparing us with his one single chapter book he's calling out the church to hear but before he signs off before he waves goodbye to the millions who will read his book his dedicated inspired book his God breathed book Jude will give us three critical directives he writes first and I read it to you keep yourselves don't do what they're doing stop yourself Or as Peter once preached on the day of Pentecost, save yourself from this aimless generation. Come to the house, ladies and gentlemen, even if no one in your home comes. Save yourself. Pray. If nobody else is praying, you pray. Save yourself. If everyone has their hands in their pocket, You take your hands out and you give. Even if you are demeaned for giving, save yourself. Here, pastor today, serve. Even if you are never appreciated, you're never given a thank you card, keep on serving. You are doing it as unto the Lord anyway. I got a word for you. Love. Even if it's never returned in kind, keep on loving. Worship, even if you stick out in the audience, you just keep on worship. It didn't matter what everyone else is doing, you just keep on worship. Save yourself. Whatever the world is doing, you just do the opposite. Do whatever you can to be saved. Keep yourself. Here's a line from one writer on alcoholism. You will never convince your friend to stop drinking if you're doing the same. This is what he said. He said, I I was drinking for a long time. He said, I finally figured out. I was always trying to tell my friends, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. He said, but the problem was I was doing in moderation what they were doing in excess. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. First step, don't participate in what they're doing. You just stop yourself. Stop from thinking negative thoughts. Stop from getting swallowed up in pride. Stop from thinking all the things about the world. Here's Titus. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. We're looking, ladies and gentlemen, for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what I'm here to do. I'm worshiping because I'm looking ahead. Somebody is coming. His name is Jesus. That's why I'm living this life right now. Everybody!
all the daddies and husbands in this home, I want you to put on your helmet of faith, your, your, your helmet of salvation. I want you to put a sword in your hand. I want you to put a step, a prep in your step. I want you to say, I'm going to church. We're going to live God. All these mothers, I'm, let me hear me, all the single mothers, all the blended homes, all the single people, all the folks wherever you are, you put on your faith and you get to the house of God. You get in your Bible. You say, I'm, I've got to be saved. The Lord's coming back and I've got to be saved. Oh! Let me just tell you there is such a an emotional there's it's a it's not the Holy Spirit but there is a spirit of humanity that rises up about and it's a division of the church of the body of all believers whether or not we can gather if it's safe to gather whether or not we'll come to church the Bible talks about laying on of hands you can't do that if you are in fear of catching a disease. Now, I'm not dumb. That's why when people are coming down my aisle to put their offerings in the basket, I got a little, on the side there, you can see my antibacteria gel. I was squirting in people's hands. They were coming through. Praise God. Thank you for the offering. Thank you for the time. I'm not ignorant. I looked at somebody, they went past me, I thought, man, they, they got to have two squirts. <laughs> Sorry, somebody left sides offended. I mean, we're not going to be ignorant. You know, we got to get some bacteria gel over here probably, right? I've been doing that for a long time. I've been, I got it in my, in my pulpit. I trust the Lord. I didn't trust you, but I trust God. <laughs> I don't know where you've been. <laughs> I got oil for anointing and Purell for cleansing. I can take care of that. That's an infection. <laughs> and then many people didn't need prayer for healing or infection, but I prayed for them anyway, and their tie was messed up, so I just straightened out the clothes before they went back. Because even if you're not healed, at least you look better when you get back to your seat. I'm good. There's a little spirit moving around. I want you to be careful of that spirit to divide you out of the church. Make you think, I shouldn't get together with people because you never know. What you're into will never end. The coming of the Lord is now at hand. Stop yourself from all the things in this world and just come on, get into the house. It's a good place to be in the house. Here's what Jude wrote, the second thing he wrote, and I quote, On some have compassion, or for some, they just need to be loved. People need people. They need someone to reach out to them with care and concern. This is the operation of the body of Jesus Christ. Because we can make a difference in the lives of people just with love. Our world is starving for someone to love them. New Life Fellowship and the family of New Life. Let's be lovers of people. One version of the Bible says be merciful. But 
that's really not the word. It's just a version of the King James. The better word comes from the King James Bible. It's compassion. I read it to you. See, compassion encompasses mercy, but so much more. Compassion means understanding. It's listening. It's help, pathos, a heart, kindness. It invokes an emotional connection. Have compassion. You'll make a difference, ladies and gentlemen, with love. On some have compassion. One teacher explained that there are some people who can be talked down from driving drunk. They know they're wrong. They're caught. It's a web. They're struggling to get out. They'll cry even. And they can be talked out of driving. A little rationale and then a hug. Some conversation is enough. This is what, this is what the mother said. She said if anyone would have just hugged them and loved them. They wouldn't have gotten that place. But because they were void of love, they took my children. She said, you can literally talk them out of endangering their life and hurting the lives of many people unknown to them. Have compassion, ladies and gentlemen. People need love. And our community needs love. A murder took place. A vicious act took place in our community. One of our great men perished. He died here. He was shot down. Our community needs love. Your city needs love. There needs to be compassion oozing out of us, not anger. People are angry. You know what I found out? All the civil unrest, if I just smile and say, how you doing? It's like their faces light up. You would talk to me, yeah, how you doing? Tell me what's going on. I don't know those people, but I know that the Lord knows them. And if I can just show some kind of kindness and love on some, have compassion. I'll tell you what it is. Love is the bridge that can bring you to them and them to Christ. I'll tell you what we can do. We can love people into these altars. A lot easier than we can rebuke them here. I'll say this again. It doesn't matter. My, my favorite place to get a haircut shut down. It was a fantastic place. It's gone. Next place I went to, I walked away with the comfort of Brother Davis's words. Brother Davis, I had the comfort of your words. When he told his boys or asked him what the difference between a good haircut and a bad haircut was, his boy said, what is it, Dad? He said, two weeks. I thought, I'm going to feel better in two weeks. God love her. She didn't have the palsy, but I don't know. I'm not a medical. <laughs> didn't matter what she did. To get her tip, 
what I gave her in a tip, my tip was not contingent upon how good she did. I tipped her according to how good God is. I'm not reciprocating what people do to me in kind. I'm doing it because I serve a great God. And I represent the Lord. And in two weeks, I'll feel better. I do already feel much better. That's why I couldn't come last week. No, it's a joke. I'll tell you what the church is doing. We're reacting to people. You ought not be walking around reacting to anybody. What are you talking about? He filled you with his spirit. He died on the cross. You confessed your sins. You repented of those sins. You were buried in the name. You're a blood-bought, twice-born-again, powerful person of Jesus Christ. You ought to be walking around. You don't reciprocate in kind, and you don't react. I'll tell you what you do. You say, I love you. I don't care how you treat me. i got a great God, and i got a great Savior, and I'm looking for the hope. Oh, yes. Yes. And finally, Jude writes the third directive, which is often missed in the modern, oh my, feel-good, seeker-friendly, motivational speakers. Notes. Jude writes the third directive, save with fear. Pull them out of the fire. Hate the garment of flesh, not the person, what they're doing. Hate what they're doing. Hate it. Despise it. Don't negotiate with it. And I see it even more clearly. Believers are afraid to speak to the backslider and to the reviler. Instead of pleading for eternity, we're hanging out at barbecues and softball games. We're saved. They're lost. But we say nothing. They're walking into a house on fire while we're sitting on the front lawn not wanting to hurt their feelings. We've become so comfortable in this life that we no longer talk about heaven and hell. We'd rather just keep our religious beliefs to ourselves, even though Jesus told us not to. So instead of keeping them from self-harm and destructive life, we're watching them drive off in a car. To either destroy their lives or other people around them. Friends don't let friends go to hell without loving them or helping them. Some ministers are afraid to lose members, thus lose money, ties. So it's all about the condition of the pastor's pocket. I'm not afraid. (laughs) Or as our wonderful Jewish man in Israel said, you no afraid me. (laughs) The prophets weren't afraid because they were speaking what the Lord had said. Let me just ask you, would you rather me please God or please men? Would you rather the leaders here say, well, it doesn't matter. It all matters, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) 
See, instead of us keeping them from going down a road, which we may not be able to stop, saying nothing and just saying, well, it was none of my business, a destructive life, a harmful life. Hear me. We have got to be the church that either through love or through fear. Hate the garment. It's flesh. It's carnal. It's an attitude of worldliness. It's sinful addictions. Hear me. Revelation is a page away. Jude, it's a page away. So keep yourselves, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't keep yourself, you got no authority in this world. Keep yourself. Keep yourself. And then number two, love as many people as you can love. And number three, save with fear of the coming days. The Lord is coming back. I hope you hear this. I want you to hear this. You're not a friend. When you appease them and encourage them and give them the thumbs up, okay signs, stay silent, you're not a friend. That's not friendship. They're heading for destruction. Maybe you don't believe in eternity, but they're careening out of control. They're headed for a stone wall. They won't survive. You're a friend if you tell them you've got to change your life. Hear me. Put your friendship on the line for the sake of their salvation, ladies and gentlemen. If it takes you being what if you're if it takes wondering whether or not their friendship will survive, take the risk. That's right. Because if you save them through love or you save them through fear, they'll be saved. Amen. Amen. For everybody. I gotta tr- I gotta figure out. Which, which, which element I'm using, fear or love, I'm going to start with love. I'm always going to start with love. I'm not going to start with fear. I'm going to start with love. When love doesn't matter, when love doesn't get it, I'm going to tell them, the Lord's coming back. You can't be lost. When they say, well, I feel saved. Well, let me just tell you about what the Bible says about being saved. Can't live that kind of life. You can't do that. Doesn't matter what the world is doing. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter what the world is saying. Doesn't matter what society is saying. The government is not your savior, but Jesus Christ is the savior. The world doesn't have hope but there's hope in the cross and you tell them there's coming to hell there's coming damnation there's coming a time you got to get to the book of revelation so before you get there you do love when love don't work you say you cannot go to hell I want, I want to tell somebody there are people that used to come to church here but you're hanging out with them and they're enjoying the, the friendship that you have, but you're not affecting their life, and you're ignoring people who never had a chance to be saved. You're negotiating with eternity. So you should tell them, you either got to get right with God, or I cannot spend every weekend here just shooting the breeze and playing, playing, and playing games and play. Hey! Go ask Jeremiah where his buddies were he didn't have any friends they rejected him go look in the bible where the prophets were and the people reviled him even even jesus said oh jerusalem you killed your prophets and you stoned them because they told you the truth so i'll just say this is a redirection of the attitude of the saints we're going to keep ourselves and we're going to keep on keeping ourselves not with arrogance but with dutiful, faithfulness, loving, consistency, continuity, and we're going to keep ourselves. 
I'm going to keep on coming. I don't care if you like me or you don't like me. You're going to keep on coming. Even if you have to sit on another side, you're going to keep on coming. You're coming and you're going to worship. It don't matter what, because you're going to keep yourself. You're going to keep reading the word. You're going to keep praying. You're not going to get discouraged. You're not going to give up. You're not going to quit. You're not going to fall down. And when you make a mistake, you're going to get back up. You're going to keep on. Keep yourself. Don't do what they're doing. And number two, I hope this is not too pragmatic, but if it is, so be it. Number two, you're going to love. You're going to love them. Just, just love them. I love you. I'm so glad to see you. I walked into Bazers, met two people walking to Bazers, asked them how they're doing. I don't know those folks, but I asked them how they're doing. I went to, I, it, it worked so well. I went to the bank and I was smiling. I thought, man, this is really good. I, I held the door for somebody. How you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I got up to the, got, got into the store, got into the, to the bank and I said, how you doing? The lady said, I'm doing great, pastor. I'm going to tell you, I love the 4th of July. Thank God I wasn't having a bad day. Like the saints walking around having a bad day. You have a bad day in your bathroom. But when you get out of your house, you ain't got a right to have a bad day. Well, no, you don't. <laughs> oh, yes. Come on, church. We're going to love this city. We're going to love them into Jesus Christ. We're going to help them and love them because we know that he is the God of love and the God of mercy. And we're going to have compassion. And finally, you can't be saved like that. You're going to die and you're going to hell if you keep living that kind of life. Know the Bible. God is not mocked. All adulterers, all liars, all three thieves, all revilers, all drunkards, they're going to find their place. Read it in your Bible. Did you mark that place out? Did you think the Bible was just Psalm 23? Here, Pastor, right now, read your Bible. You can't live that way. Did you think half-hearted living was going to get you there? The Bible says, if the righteous scarcely make it, how then shall we? You get in as deep as you can get in. You love God as much as you can love him. You do everything for the kingdom as much as you can. You just walk around saying, what can I do for the kingdom of God? And you ask the Lord, show me your kingdom, Lord. I want to be a kingdom-minded person. And the things that you're dealing with right now that you think that are so conflicting and binding as you're walking with the Lord, you're seeking him, they'll just fall away. They'll evaporate into dust. Some of you have already told me, I've looked back, Pastor. I don't even recognize the man that I was. Why? How'd that happen? Here, Pastor. I've got to guard my heart. I've got to love them. Have compassion on some. I've got to just be straight and bold. That's not right. That's wrong. That's wrong. Hear me, Dad and Mom. What you're saying to yourself is, you don't buy them those substances, but you're providing a home and a place. 
and they're buying it because you're covering the cost of the other items. Now just transport that into the emotional, spiritual state. Teach them how to pray because there's some prayers you can't pray for them. But if you think that just your prayer life is enough without telling them, we're going to pray in this house. We're not going to just live here. We're going to pray here. And if you want to be here, we got to pray. Mm -hmm. Then you set the tone and the atmosphere. Real friends don't stand idly by without saying something. Revelation is coming. Please stand with me now. I'd like you just to, if you want to close your eyes, but I really want you to block out all things and what's happening after the service. And I just want you to concentrate on the Lord. And even if you've done it a thousand times, I want you just to say it one more time. And Lord, I give my heart to you. Would you say it? I give my life to you, Lord. He wants to hear that. Today is a gathering with the eyes on eternity. Yes, 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 yes. Jesus, Jesus. Tell him again, I'm giving you my heart and my mind, my thoughts, Lord. I'm dedicating my way to you. Now, you've heard me preach this word. I want you to respond to it in whatever way you feel comfortable, but... Perhaps you would just come up to this altar and stand and just, and just lift up your hands and surrender to him. I'm calling for all those who just want to make that, that moment for their lives. Maybe you, want, maybe you want to rededicate or maybe you're asking the Lord for a healing of your own mind and your heart. I don't know what you're struggling with, but I'm opening up this altar space. and I want you just to come close, as close as you can. Keep yourselves. I love you. And for a few, if you keep messing around you, there's a destructive end to that. Come on, pastor is reaching for you. Don't, don't ignore the word today. Don't put the prophet in a, in a well. Don't starve out Jeremiah. And we're all praying right now today. We're praying right now. Now all the people lifting up their voices right now. All the saints lifting up their hands now. Everybody. Jesus, 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 Jesus.